Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to be with you. Thanks for tuning in for another week of the rare excitement that is Strange Sound. It is strange, it is sound, it is strange sound, and I am Joe. As is typical during these COVID times, it's been a strange week, and I won't go into details, but it's just been weird, and uh, I don't really have anything new to report uh, other than I'm still sort of struggling with work and home schedule um, around the various necessary COVID restrictions and hope all is well with you out there struggling with the same limitations and the same uh, sort of daily challenges and Hopefully having a better time of it than I am. I know a lot of you are having a harder time than I am. So uh, my heart goes out to you and I hope all is well. Um, I will offer my standard disclaimer. The views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They represent my views alone, not the views of anyone associated with me, They are not representative of the views of my neighbors or my friends or my family or my employer or anyone associated with me on social media. They are just my own views, and I am sharing them here with you because you're very special. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all I have to contribute, right? Just what I think. I'm putting in my two cents, as they say. Anyway, as is my habit... Of late, I'm going to read my uh, blog post for the week, my furious rant, which uh, you can find actually in text form when you go to big-green.net and click on the blog tab and click through to the um, Hammer Mill Days blog. You will see a category uh, that's called political rants. Those are what I call my furious rants, Um, but they're just political rants, and uh, they go back quite a few years, so, I mean, if you're interested in delving back and reading some of them, be my guest. Um, It's kind of a general commentary. I don't really focus on anything in particular. It's just whatever I'm thinking of that particular week, so, you know, and I try to keep them brief, and I will try to keep this brief as I read it to you forthwith. The title of this week's Furious Rant is New Pilot. New Pilot. And it is dated March 19th, 2021. And it goes something like this. As I write this, the details are still filtering in from Georgia about the shooting at the massage parlors in in and near Atlanta. Yet another sickening crime carried out by some dude who bought a gun the same day he decided to use it on a bunch of innocent people. That'll be $600, young man. Enjoy the pistol. Hey, want some bullets with that? God damn, what a crazy country we live in. Still, the part of this incident that made me scratch my head was when the police told us that the suspect had said the crime was not racially motivated. Of course, this was followed up by the officer's comment that the alleged shooter was having a bad day. My first reaction to this was, since when do you care what the suspect says? The answer, of course, is obvious. The suspect is white. Can you picture them coming out and saying something similar about a black person in custody? Uh, No, neither could I. 
I'm listening to a podcast called Resistance. Uh, though I'm not crazy about the corporate advertising, for instance, I now know way more about the latest Mitsubishi compact SUV than I ever needed to know. They do really good work. The episode I'm listening to, entitled My Somebody, focuses on a young man from Baltimore who is incarcerated for being essentially in the wrong place at the wrong time. I can tell you the police did not give a damn what this fellow had to say about his guilt or innocence. They shot him in the face and stood guard around his hospital bed. But then he's black. As for the white guy who shot up three massage parlors in Georgia this week, well, he was having a bad day, according to some random white police captain known for sharing anti-Asian posts on Facebook. I mean, seriously, they don't even bother trying to hide it anymore, do they? This is what underlies the movement for defunding and even abolishing the police. If you are a white person and you grew up in, say, a town like my old hometown, which was almost entirely white at that time, the police are there to protect you. In other words, they are there to protect you from the nasty non-white people down the street in Utica or Albany or Rochester or wherever. If, on the other hand, you are a person of color and you live in a community of color, the police are not there to protect you. They are there to contain you, to detain you, and to keep you in your place. They are there to watch you like a hawk. That is why so many black families don't dial up the cops when stuff goes wrong. It doesn't matter if there are black police officers or a black police chief or a black mayor or, hell, a black president. Like the Pentagon, law enforcement is like a big killing machine. You can put a different pilot in there, and they may drive the killing machine more slowly, even nudge it into reverse, but it's still going to do what it's designed to do. The abuse is a feature, not a bug. There's a lot to be said about criminal justice reform, and we've barely even begun to have that conversation. But if we're ever going to even attempt to fix these problems, we must first acknowledge the nature of the system we have. That is a prerequisite for moving forward. Love you, Joe. Anyway, that's my furious rant for this week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, no, please. No applause, please. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what do I have to add to that? Well, um, I don't know that I've really focused on criminal justice reform that much. And I use that term loosely uh, because I think our criminal justice system needs more than reform. Um, I, I tend to agree more with uh, the people farther on the left with regard to this. It's a problematic system, and part of the reason why I understand that, the degree to which it's problematic, and I, I will admit to the fact that I I haven't been able to articulate it anywhere near as well as, as people I've heard speak about this in recent years, you know, um, some of the experts in the field now um, that I've heard in like the last, particularly the last year and a half, can tell this story a lot better than I can and understand how to approach it a lot better than I can. I am not an expert. Again, I say this often enough. I am not an expert, but the reason why I have any kind of inkling as to what the root of the problem is, is because I did grow up in that white bread town. 
that I'm talking about. It's a town just a few miles, well, not even a few miles, like just a stretch up the road from where I live right now. (laughs) I've landed in a place very close to where I began. And my experience as a white kid growing up in a suburban town that was almost entirely white at the time was that the police are there to protect you. Sure, you can be arrested if you really act like an asshole. If you smash windows or set something on fire or whatever, right? That's the way it was in those days. Yeah, you could go too far. Mostly they left you the hell alone. You know, I mean, they sometimes they put the scare into you. And there was a little cat and mouse game that we'd play with them too when we were teenagers because we were teenagers and that's the way teenagers do things. But that was an entirely different thing than what was happening just a few miles down the road in um, the small city that um, is right next door to the little town that I grew up in, right? Where people of color live and they're encounters with the police are very, very different. Ours were things like, you know, we'd be smoking a joint, right? And a cop would drive by and we'd run and, you know, they'd sort of turn around and we'd sort of imagine that they were chasing us and they weren't. If they really wanted to catch us, they could, but they don't care. Not really. As long as you don't be flagrant about it, they didn't really do very much. Sure. If they found you, you know, they caught you red-handed, you might get into trouble. Hard to say. That changed a little bit into the 1980s. I grew up in the 1970s. Um, I was a teenager in the 1970s. Into the 1980s, my younger siblings were, uh, sibling and my niece were sort of high school age and just coming out of high school. And, um... I noticed the shift in the early 80s after the Reagan administration really got going and they toughened the drug laws and they started arresting white people um, a little bit more frequently um, just to make an example of people, um, which which is to say, you know, people of color were getting hauled in by the thousand. And it, naturally, you know, it got worse after that. I mean, during the Clinton years, it really got ramped up. But that was that was past my you know young days, so I didn't really see as much of that, right? But what I saw in the eighties was people being incarcerated and you know flipped, so that they would turn in other people um, in desperation, that sort of thing, and it was pretty ugly. But you could you could see this sort of drug war. Um, getting really heavily underway in those years. But prior to that, in the 1970s, particularly, it was pretty obvious that nobody really much cared. And this is the time when we had the the Rockefeller drug laws in New York, which were pretty serious. But they were not laws written for people like us. As long as you didn't, again, as long as you didn't seriously transgress, and start, you know, shipping pounds of pot all over the place, which none of us did, right? (laughs) 
as long as you weren't like a major, you know, transshipment point for drugs, you wouldn't get into trouble. They would tolerate you. And it wasn't an overt policy, but it was, it was pretty obvious that you could get away with it. You know, you didn't have the same kind of leeway downtown. They didn't have any leeway at all, right? They get caught with a joint, they're done. It's still that way. It's still that way in New York, upstate New York. Now, I agree, you know, it's like, and, and again, it's, it's not down to the individual. <laughs> We're trying not to personalize these things, right? If you meet a cop... If you're somebody like me, white person, suburban, you know, they're nice to me. And I look at them and I think, ah, what a nice young man, right? They meet somebody who's not like me, who's somebody who lives in the inner city, and they're, they're a person of color. Uh, their approach to that person is going to be completely different, most likely, nine times out of ten it's going to be very different. And those people are going to be on the spot. You know, it's... So, I mean, that's... It's obvious we have a problem. And when you see how that... Uh, that police press conference went with these shootings in, in Atlanta, you have some idea of, you know, just how deep this goes, even if you're a white person who behaves in, who commits an atrocity. <laughs> There's just no two ways about it. Goes around killing people, you know, practically at random. You still get a level of understanding and a level of, you know, not sympathy, but at least like you get humanized by the police even under those circumstances. When I was growing up, there were people who got in serious trouble. And yes, they were made an example of. And I think that's that's part of the system too, is that once in a while you need to, you know, collar a white guy and hold it up and say, look, see, you know, we it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a person of privilege or whatever, this person did this. Uh, one of them was my cousin. I'm not going to use his name, but anyone who knows me knows who I'm talking about. Um, he got put away for 20 years. Now, he had a large amount of of uh, contraband drugs uh, when he was caught and a large amount of cash and all that. And he'd been a dealer for years. So... Yeah, he was kind of in the middle of the road when the truck hit him, right? Uh, but he got put away for 20 years without parole. And uh, it was a long sentence in those days. And he was a white kid, you know, pretty well healed, you know, had money, you know, came from money. Uh, my cousin's... Um, they're on that side, you know, their their father was a business owner, you know, had a lot of money. So, you know, it wasn't like th this was this was something that they could hold up and say, uh, this is, you know, we got this guy. 
Now he's Jewish, so he's like, yeah, it's you could you could make an argument that maybe there is a different yardstick applied to him, but it's I, I think it was more just just setting that aside for a moment. I think you know every small community has the kingpin that gets carried away that may may actually be a white dude, you know, who used his extra money to start a side hustle, you know, with, you know, involving drugs and whatever. Pretty awful. And he, you know, served his time. He was in there for close to the full 20 years. I think, I think he had a little bit of time off, but not much. <laughs> and uh, he didn't come out um, until a little more than 15 years ago. So, yeah, that's... Uh, there are exceptions, but as a rule, um, it's a system of justice that goes in one direction. And if you're one type of person from one type of community, the police are there to protect you. And if you're a different type of person from a different type of community, if you're a a person who lives in the city and your skin is a different color, uh, you've got a problem. Because they are, they are all about, they've got an eye on you. They're waiting for you to make that error. They're waiting for you to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the way the police came up. You know, that's the way the institution of policing in the United States, you know, congealed, essentially. That's the way it was constructed. It started out with slave patrols, right? I mean, look, there are scholars who know this much better than I do. So (laughs) I'm not even going to suggest names to you. Just go out there and find it. It's, I am, again, I'm not an expert, but it's, it's something that I've, I am a beneficiary of this system. And I understand that. And I, I can see why, and I can see how it works. And I think if you are somebody similar to me, similarly situated, you can see it too. Now, I could just as easily have come out on the other side of this issue because being a beneficiary, I might think, well, you know, it's just me pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I just kept my nose clean and everything went fine. It's because I'm I'm a law-abiding citizen, you know, and that sort of thing. And And there are people from my community who came out exactly that way. I'd say the vast majority of the people who came up in my community at the same time as me came out that way. Not all of them, but a majority of them. Uh, In fact, one of them is our Congress member. And again, she sees the world the way she sees it. I get that. That's fine. Uh, Not fine that she's representing me, but that's a matter for elections to decide. And she won more votes. <laughs> so that's uh, it's kind of like, fuck you, Joe. <laughs> Next time, vote for somebody who gets more votes. So, well, I've wandered a bit. Uh, but that's that's most of what I have to say about this. I mean, suffice to say, we, you know, we've got a long ways to go. And I'm not I'm not convinced that the Biden administration is completely you know, uh, right-headed about this. I mean, there's some disturbing signs, as I've said, with regard to foreign policy. Certainly, 
things like them firing a bunch of staffers because they had a record of past marijuana use is just insane. I mean, what a strange thing to do. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's just an ins- it, it just is an obsessive, you know, focus on this thing that's essentially I mean, the reason why marijuana use is criminalized is was originally criminalized to, you know, create another excuse for incarcerating people of color and, you know, people that they didn't like. You know, again, it's kind of like vagrancy laws back in the day. The 13th Amendment, you know, preserved slavery as as within the domain of lawfully convicted incarcerated persons. So you can be made a slave again if you break the law and if they convict you. Well, that's easy enough, isn't it? You just make standing around and being black illegal. Or you make carrying marijuana in your pocket illegal. And if you live someplace that's over-policed and you, like your counterparts in the suburbs that aren't over-policed, maybe carrying a joint around in your pocket, well, then you're easy to arrest. And there you go. So I don't know what the history is with the staffers in the Biden administration that got fired for having smoked marijuana at some point. But I have to say, that's a crazy policy. And that is a small indicator that maybe they're not on the same page as progressives on that on that issue. Again, there's a lot to be said about this. I don't want to go into too much because I don't really, I don't have a firm grasp on it. I know how I feel about it, but I don't feel confident necessarily about talking about it until I have a better read on it. I've read some of the basic books on this and listen to some some uh, pretty impressive voices on this. But I'm not at a point now where I can tell anybody anything that they don't already know. <laughs> so I will leave that to better people than me. Suffice to say, this is a problem. We need to address it. And the shootings in, in Atlanta and the response to those shootings is an indicator. Um, I will just say in closing... Um, that uh, congressional hearing that just happened to be held, uh, I think the day after the shootings, that was focusing on hate crimes against uh, Asian and Pacific Islander uh, Americans. Um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that Texas congressman, uh, who I call Chips Ahoy, <laughs> name sounds like Chips Ahoy to me. I'll just call him Chips Ahoy. Um, said that sort of outrageous thing about about the Chai Coms, you know, basically unreconstructed, you know, anti-communist rhetoric of 1953, 1955, something like that, talking about the Chai Coms. But I think the most outrageous thing he did was before he made that that comment about about uh, you know the Chinese communists and all this, he invoked that metaphor. Uh, with regard to being about justice, you know, and how in Texas justice is important to us, you know, all the rope in Texas, find all the rope in Texas and and the tallest tree. And that 
I, I found even that was a really disturbing thing to say. I mean, that, that is like, that's lynching. So, I mean, his racist sort of lynching metaphor, you know, he had to trip over his racist lynching metaphor to get to his um, anti-Asian hate speech, <laughs> which is, it's kind of a, it's almost a trifecta of racism. Oh, dear. Chips ahoy. You've got a problem. Anyway, I, I just wanted to sort of name check that. That that was, of all the things this week that sort of made me grimace, that I think made me grimace a bit more than anything else. Very disturbing stuff. My heart goes out to those people uh, in Georgia. What a horrible thing. Anyway, that's all I got for this week. I'd like to hear what you have to say. <laughs> uh, if you go to anchor.fm slash strange sound, you can leave me a one minute voice message. Also, if you go to big-green.net and click on the contact link, you will find other ways to get in touch with me. You can, you can find me on Twitter at strange sound pod. You can also find my other sort of Twitter aliases and you can find us on Facebook. Um, you can reach out to us that way. Um, I say us, I mean me shows really just me. Um, so by all means, get in touch with me, leave me a voice message, reach out and push back. Tell me whether you agree. If you don't agree, if you want to set me straight on something, by all means, I want to turn this into a conversation. I've been saying it for over a year. <laughs> I've been saying it for over a year. I'm starting to turn into Nixon. Oh dear. Anyway, hope all is well out there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>